entering the game for Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. It's Thursday, October 17th, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, the Eagles laid an egg in Minnesota on Sunday. The Flyers go 0-2-1 on their West Canada trip. The Sixers are rolling through the preseason, just six days until the opener. And since we were together last Wednesday, Gabe Kapler has been fired. The Phillies management has made a bad public showing, and we still have no new manager. All very true, Bill, and the friggin' Washington Nationals are World Series bound. Uh, I can't wait to hear what our second guest has to say about the dysfunctional Phillies, but first we're going to talk Eagles and Sixers, and i got to tell you, I'm really still disappointed about the Birds' performance out in Minnesota last Sunday. Just a bad showing all around and a bad loss to start that crucial six-game stretch of games. Well, absolutely, and, uh, you know, they got taken to the house pretty early. The defensive backfield got exposed, and you know, it's, it's a football's a funny game. Last week when you're rushing the quarterback and getting 10 sacks, the defensive backfield looks fantastic. When you don't get to the quarterback, the defensive backfield looks terrible. And that's certainly what we've seen over the last two weeks. Yeah, it's been ugly, but they've been inconsistent all year. I mean, you know, the slow starts are just killing them and the penalties and whatnot. And, boy, they've got these five tough games ahead, and they've got to win at least two, preferably at least three, to you know, really stay in contention. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, the defense is a funny thing. Uh, the, the competition is getting tougher. You, you know, this Dallas game, we're going to talk a lot about this as we go, but uh, tough game to go down there on Sunday night. Dallas is struggling. They've got to pull themselves together. The Eagles' defense is struggling. The Eagles' offense is scoring points, but there just seems to be some issues there. And and as you mentioned, the slow start is on both sides of the ball, which is really unusual because, you know, offensively, you practice that script. That's what you're supposed to be able to come out and do well early, and the Eagles certainly are not able to do that. Yeah, I don't know why that is. That's just a mystery. And then, of course, we have the Jalen Ramsey stuff the last couple of weeks. It never happened for the Birds. He's going to the L.A. Rams. Uh, Are you okay with that, them, you know, not going hard enough after Jalen Ramsey, a guy they certainly could have used? I am okay with it. Um, They certainly could have used him. Uh, I would have given him a a one and a four and maybe a player, but – Two ones, back-to-back years, and a four is just an awful steep price to pay. Um, that second number one, they're, they're just too hard to get, too valuable. Not that they have a great track record as far as, you know, <laughs> drafting those top picks, but, uh, yeah, I do see what you mean. It, it would have been tough to give up a, a lot like that for him, but he is only 24, and he is one of the best in the game. So I could see them doing it also, but it didn't happen, and it's, you know, all behind us now. We just got to move on. Well, yeah, and and just as important, uh, it looks like Jason Peters is out this week. That left side um, of Carson Wentz now in the hands of uh, Andre Dillard, the rookie, uh, making his first start against the Cowboys on primetime. Remember how that went with Vitae, and remember how that (laughs) went with a guy named King Dunlap some years ago? 
Yeah, and I think Winston Justice, too, many, many moons ago. Uh, yeah, these young guys don't often fare well their first couple of starts, but we'll see. I mean, Dillard comes highly recommended. He's got a little experience now already. He looked good in the preseason, certainly, what we saw of him. And uh, he may be the guy for good now because, you know, Jason Peters is up there, of course, in years. He's had trouble staying on the field really the last few years. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Jason get back in the starting lineup, especially if Dillard does well. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I guess Howie's, Howie Roseman getting a little bit of heat not only for the uh, – not getting Ramsey, but now all of a sudden you lose a couple of games and, and everybody's after you for signing a bunch of these older guys who are now on the injured list already. And we're only a quarter way into the season. Yeah. And then there was another one of those anonymous Eagles quoted as saying they really dropped the ball by not going after Ramsey. I know you love those anonymous quotes, Bill. Oh yeah. If they're anonymous, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, they, they didn't happen. You know, I just, <laughs> I'm just not big on that. And, you know, but, but let's, let's talk about Darren Sproles. Uh, You know, I think there was a lot of question whether to bring Darren Sproles back or not, at least from the fan base. Uh, Everybody likes the guy, uh, but he's a little long in the tooth. They bring him back. He's lasted a couple games. He's injured. Corey Clement, who's not an older guy, he's on the injured list. Uh, You know, these things like that, like I always say, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but you start losing losing a lot of guys it's a problem remember back in july they had like eight running backs on the roster all of whom you know we thought could play and there was going to be so much competition for the four or five jobs well they actually had to call off one of the guys from the practice squad this week boston scott because they were down to you know two healthy backs so scott got uh, some playing time last sunday with strolls out and clement out as you mentioned so Boy, that, that changed in a hurry, going from eight running backs to two healthy ones. So, uh, you know, hopefully Howard will stay healthy and Miles Sanders will stay healthy and continue to develop. Yeah, and, you know, one of those guys, I, I happened to notice, I, I took a glance, you know, they had the XFL draft, and I looked at the <laughs> draft picks in that XFL because some of the local guys here uh, in town got picked in that XFL draft. So I, looked, I was looking through the rosters just to see who I might know. Don't I see that Darnell Pumphrey getting picked in the XFL draft? I was like, holy cow. I was going to mention that name later on in our show, Bill. So uh, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) You saw it too, huh? I did notice that. Yep. A couple other names too. Well, hey, let's talk about Carson Wentz, uh, Chad. It seems like when you're talking about a lot of Eagles conversation, Carson Wentz, kind of gets put a little bit on the back burner, I think, by some people. And, uh, you know, there seems to be a handful of people out there that just sort of don't really think a whole lot of Carson Wentz. And then there's the other side that thinks that he's really, really super special. Uh, his numbers are still solid. What do you, how do you assess Wentz's performance at this point? He's not super special this year, but he's solid. He's certainly solid. He's certainly, I think, you know, one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league, and his play this season hasn't changed that thought for me. You know, there's been a lot of drops, which has hurt him. Yeah, he's made a few bad throws. He's made a couple of bad decisions holding on to the ball too long on occasion. But uh, he's solid. He's still not in the upper echelon. I'm not going to get carried away with him, but I still have a lot of hope that he's going to be that guy. I'd still rather have him than Dak Prescott 
or Jared Goff or some of the other names that he's lumped in with. So I'm still in the Wentz camp, and I think he's going to be okay. I just wish he had Deshaun Jackson there to help him out. Um, I wish Alshon Jeffrey was having a better year. I wish, I wish Nelson Aguilar was having a better year. He's got to get some help, too. I mean, Wentz is good, but he can't do it all by himself. Well, absolutely. And I, and I guess my question as a follow-up to that would be to you, in the two games that they won against Green Bay and, and the Jets, where they ran the ball a good bit, um, and he did not throw the ball that much. I think he threw 27 and maybe 29 times in those games, threw no interceptions. <laughs> Excuse me, but that, that kind of brings your overall numbers down because you're only throwing it for less than 200 yards. So it makes the statistics look down, but he was giving the ball to the running backs, and they're winning games, and that's really the important thing. Yeah, it's all about the Ws, no matter how you do it. Uh, they had a good balance in the Green Bay game. The Jets, you can't really take anything away from that because the Jets stunk when they didn't have Sam Darnold at quarterback. Three and three, they're kind of where a lot of a lot of people thought they would be at this point. You know, they thought maybe they would lose the Atlanta game, which they did. Nobody expected them to beat Green Bay. They did, so I don't know. But let, let's bring our guest on and see what he has to say, Bill. All right. Well, we are excited to have 97.5, the Fanatics, Tyrone Johnson with us tonight to talk Eagles. And, of course, we'll talk Sixers, who Ty covers on a regular basis. Ty, welcome back. Oh, what's going on, guys? Hey, Tyrone. Uh, as Bill mentioned, we're going to talk Sixers in a few minutes, but I just want to get your take on the Eagles. You know, what is wrong with this team? We're disappointed by the 3-3 three and three record, the slow starts, the penalties, the play of the secondary. With another five games, tough ones ahead of them over the next month, what's your confidence level that they can get back on track? Um, I think they'll beat Dallas, but the confidence level as is with these weapons is low, mainly because the weapons stink. Aguilar stinks. Alshon so far this year, he can't <laughs> run. He stinks. Ertz is getting double teamed. Goddard has not stepped up in the passing game. He's been mostly uh, he's been mostly stink. Hollins is horrendous, and our second white side is terrible. So really, that's what it comes down to. If any of those guys was playing well instead of bad, I think the Eagles would be in a better spot. Well, well, Ty, I have to follow up. Speaking of stink, um, what about the officiating in the in the National Football League? And, and I want to tie that to as we get ready for the NBA as well. Uh, because last year that was nothing to write home about. What do you think about this overall officiating in in both leagues? I think that um, NBA was bad, but the NFL is, is far worse. In fact, I, I think NFL, if, if we didn't have this addiction to where this is what we do every Sunday, I don't know if a lot of people would watch. It's been that bad. Like the, the, the Lions, none of us are obviously Lions fans. We were straight up robbed. They were they were straight up robbed against the Packers. Multiple hands in the, to the face penalties yep. that didn't exist. There are too many flags. It's been an unwatchable product by and large. Like lately, what I've become is I watch the Eagles because it's the job, and I scan the other games. And as soon as I see the rest trying to take that game over, I turn that game off. Baseball playoffs are happening. Other things. It's extremely problematic. And I, honestly, if it wasn't about the addiction or the habit, I think that the NFL would be in a lot of trouble. I think the NBA is at least trying. They've been very transparent, unlike the NFL, about some of the ways they want to improve it. They put in a coach's challenge this year. You only get one, so it won't slow down the game too much, but it could be for a critical thing. It could be a foul and all that stuff. So I have some hope with the NBA. I have no hope whatsoever about the NFL, and it's hurt the product. Oh, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, I, I was watching that Jets and uh, 
in Cowboys game, and the Cowboys are losing. They need to drive down to score uh, to, for a chance to tie the game down eight. And there's six plays in a row with penalties, five against the Jets, all accepted. Um, they basically walked the Cowboys down the field and uh, gave them a chance to score, and then they couldn't make the two-point conversion. But uh, I'm thinking it's almost like certain teams are supposed to win and certain teams are supposed to be in the playoffs, and that is certainly a bad take for the league. And like you say, people are losing interest. Yeah, it, it, that, that was uh, horrendous what that what that was in the in the Jets Cowboys game. We're all watching that game, all rooting against the Cowboys. And one or two flags, I think, you know, maybe we shouldn't overreact. Like you mentioned, six straight. First of all, there's too many flags, period. And then the fact that five of them were on the Jets was just it was a travesty. All right, Ty, let's switch and talk a little Sixers. i got to be honest. I really like this 76ers team, the depth, the size, the improved defense. I'm optimistic. Uh, I want to first ask you about the rookie, Matisse Thibel. Unlike with the team's previous three top picks, this guy is healthy and looks like he's ready to contribute right away. Do you agree? Absolutely. I think he, he's going to be in the rotation. I think him and Mike Scott will be the first two guys off the bench. I think this – he has a real chance to be special in this league defensively right away, and then that allows his offense to grow. He knows right now his, his role is play defense and shoot open three-pointers. And with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, he will get his share of open three-pointers. So I, I think that he's really going to step in and almost make us forget about some of the first-round nightmares from the past because this is a team that could possibly win a championship. And when he's yep. making those kind of plays, I think it will be special. I really do. So I think he's going to be special. Hey, Ty, how do you see Joel Embiid uh, working working in the center? Um, I lost my name here. <laughs> bear, bear with me just a second. Now that we have Al Horford, that's what I was trying to say. Now Embiid and Horford together, how do you see that working out? You see them splitting time, playing together. Um, how's that going to work out? I think it's going to work fine because of how they're going to play defensively together. Horford's one of the headier players in the league, maybe the headiest player in the league as far as basketball IQ. So I'm not really concerned. Um, Embiid and Ilya Sova had a big plus rating when they played together. Horford already admitted that he's going to move his offensive game more perimeter, to a more perimeter-oriented game. I think it's going to work really well. And defensively, I think they're going to be absolutely smothering. I think that the length every starter – having at least a six-foot-eight wingspan is going to be really special. So, And then funneling it all to Embiid, and I think they're going to be smart. Last year, they, they only had ten back-to-backs, but five of them were in the first, like, 17, 18 games of the season. And Embiid basically played in all of them. This year, the plan is to wrap them up slowly. So on, uh, you know, next Wednesday, he might only play 28 minutes. And then as the season goes, you know, so they, let's play a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So I think they're going to manage and be better this season. I think Horford will allow them to pick their spots better as far as minutes on the floor because everybody remembers the Toronto series. He didn't play great, but the plus-minus was unbelievable. They were about 100 points better when he was on the floor than when he wasn't in that seven-game series despite the fact that he was sick. Horford makes a huge difference. Hey, Ty, when you guys at 97.5, the Fanatic, had your all-star day in conjunction with the station's 10th anniversary last week, congrats on that, by the way. Uh, Bob Cooney, I think it was, mentioned that maybe a team actually can win now without having two or three great three-point shooters. Maybe this Sixers team? Absolutely, and what the Sixers have is only one bad shooter. So you're right, they don't have multiple great shooters, but really Simmons, because he doesn't shoot, is the only bad shooter that's in the uh, five or can shoot. And it's off the bench, can shoot. Mike Scott can shoot. So in their rotation, they only have one 
bad shooter. If they had multiple bad shooters, Simmons and Fultz, for example, on the same team, that's problematic. There's, you can hide one guy. You can hide. You saw how effectively they hid J.J. Reddick, one bad defensive player. You can hide one non-shooter. So while they don't have a bunch of great shooters, they, you have to guard the other guys. If Embiid's out there, he will shoot it. If Horford's out there, he will shoot it. Tobias Harris is a 40% three-point shooter, and Richardson is above average um, three-point shooter as far as the NBA goes. So I think that you can absolutely, one, you can absolutely get by without a bunch of great shooters. And second of all, they only have one bad shooter, and we don't even know how bad he is because we've never seen him shoot. <laughs> well, that leads me right into this one, Ty. In the three preseason games he's played, Ben Simmons had that one legendary three-pointer, and he hit a nice mid-range jumper also. It's the question everybody's asking. Will we see Ben be willing to take those outside shots, maybe you know, one or two a game anyway this season? I think you will for this reason. He knows um, Joel Embiid, in addition to the other struggles that were his own, he was basically double-teamed every possession in the Raptors series because that, whoever was guarding Ben Simmons, if he was in a dunker spot or wherever, would lag way off of him because he was a complete – they were able to disrespect him. And basically – and that guy was always making it tough for Embiid to catch it or tough for Embiid to move with it. So in addition to Gasol being a great defender, there was another guy creating traffic for Joel Embiid. And I think Ben Simmons kind of took that personally in the offseason. What I think you'll see is there'll be certain teams that, first of all, just can't, can't keep him from getting to the rim. And if they can't, he's going to go to the rim. But the good teams, we know the good teams. When you play the Bucks, when you play the Celtics, I think will be pretty good. When you play some of those West Coast teams, especially the Lakers and the Clippers, who can guard him, but if they disrespect him, I think he's going to shoot. And there's no reason that those teams won't disrespect them because that's the way to stop Embiid because none of those teams have a chance of stopping Embiid. If, so for that reason, I do think he'll shoot. He's not, he may not shoot as much as we want, but I think he'll shoot when they disrespect him, and that will cause them not to be, him not to be disrespected, which thus makes him be better, Richardson better, it makes everybody else better, and it changes the geometry of the floor. So I actually have hope that he'll shoot not a lot, but just enough to keep them honest, and I think he understands that they have to do that for this team to get the goal that they have. Well, somebody that I think it, it almost seems like he's a little under the radar, considering he's already a superstar in his own right, but what are we going to expect from Tobias Harris? I just feel like there's so many weapons around him that he's a, he's laying a little bit low, but this guy's a star. He is a star, and he played great with the, with the Clippers. Um, he has to add something to his game in the late game out there with the Clippers when he was playing really well. Lou Williams was still their closer. We'll have to find out if he's a closer, if Richardson's a closer, if Embiid can be the closer. We'll find out. But he was – him and Jimmy Butler were always going to be a weird fit because Butler was standing a lot of times in the spots that Tobias Harris preferred to, preferred to stand, and that put him in a tough spot. Just like a lot of times, because Ben Simmons wasn't shooting, Joel Embiid was in a spot. Uh, ben Simmons was in a spot that Joel Embiid would rather be. So there was some there was some friction there. That friction is gone, and he's going to really be able to really move. He can really spot up shoot, and we know Ben Simmons he can do anything. Is driving kick. This guy I think is going to shoot forty percent from three. He's going to take seven eight a game. I think he's going to be an all-star this year. I actually think that they're going to end up with three all-stars, Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias Harris. I think they're going to end up with three all-stars, and I think he's going to be the third one. And I think he's going to be an all in the mix for all-NBA now that, that Kawhi and some of these other forwards have moved out west. Hmm. All right, Ty. Bill and I will make our official predictions next week. We're doing our show on Tuesday next week. Are you ready to give yours 55 wins, 60? Just how optimistic are you? I'm at 59. I've been at 59. I think that will get the one seed. I think 
the Bucks will finish with maybe 55 or so, so they'll have a few game uh, cushion with that, and I think they're going to get the one seed, 59 wins in the one seed. Last year, the Bucks got it with 60, so not that far off. Some of the reason I think 59 is they do have to get used to each other just a little bit, and Embiid's not going to play all 82 games. If I had a crystal ball saying Embiid's going to play 82, I would say 65 wins. So moving around some new pieces, you do have some young guys, 59 wins and the one seed, and I believe they're going to the finals. Well, and as a follow, I, I was going to say to you, until you, till you stuck in there that you were going to go to the finals, I was going to say to you, does does Brett Brown have the juice to take him to the finals, and does he have what it takes to win a championship? I think with Brett Brown, a lot of times it's about players. I don't know if if Nick Nurse is a great coach. Nick Nurse had the best player, and the best player played out of his mind in Toronto. I don't know if he's a great coach. I don't think he's a great coach, honestly. I think he's a a decent coach, but I don't think he's a great coach. I think the players get it done. I don't think – what I do know is Brett Brown's not a bad coach, and a lot of times you want a coach to not get in the way. The way Scott Brooks got in the way of Westbrook, Harden, and Durant, and they end up not winning the title together. You don't want a coach like that who gets in the way. I don't think Brett Brown's a bad coach, and I think they're going to overwhelm teams with size, length, and just talent. There's just just not that many teams with this kind of talent, and the Lakers – I tell you what, you play the Lakers and you get past, you get to that bench, and you'll have to get to that bench because Embiid is aging, because LeBron is aging. I mean, I think you're going to have some real problems. So um, maybe the Clippers can beat them, but that's about the only team I think in the NBA that can stop this team from winning the title. Wow. All right, Ty, one last thing, and this is totally unrelated. I wrote this down actually before I heard your little tirade today, but it's October. There's a lot of pumpkins out there. What's with you and the whole anti-pumpkin thing? I think pumpkins are, are stupid. They, they, no one likes to taste on their own. They put it in stuff, but no one likes pumpkin. It, it's dumb. It's a seasonal thing that people do out of tradition. It's, it's terrible. Pumpkin's terrible, and I'm not going to be bullied into thinking that pumpkin's okay. My wife bought pumpkins against my will. I don't want them outside of my house. I, I don't like them. I think they're terrible. Not even pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. You know, did you know, there's, did you know there's no pumpkin in pumpkin spice? There's no actual pumpkin in pumpkin spice. You can make that without pumpkin. It's, it's I believe awesome. you. No, no, pumpkin up, pie, no pumpkin pie tie on uh, Thanksgiving? Nope. Keep it away from me. Keep it from you. All right. Well, hey, Ty, before we let you go, can you let the listeners know where they can follow you, find you? you got a lot going on, especially as basketball starts. You're a busy man. Yes, so we'll be making some announcement next week about uh, Sixers Outsiders, so stay tuned for that on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Every day on the Mike Nesnelli Show on 97.5 The Fanatic and NBC Sports Philadelphia. And, of course, on Twitter at Ty Johnson News. All right. Well, we appreciate you stopping by and uh, looking forward to the season. And go Sixers. Thanks, Ty. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, All right, Ty. Who needs food? How about a beer? There's plenty of great menu choices at the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA, where there's always 24 beers on tap and always something going on at the Irish Rover. There's trivia every Wednesday, a DJ every Friday night, and live music every Saturday night. This weekend, it's the band Steamboat Annie. And mark your calendar for the Irish Rovers' Halloween Bash on Saturday, November 2nd. Watch the Eagles, Flyers, and Sixers on Rovers' many TVs. Follow them on social media and check their website, irishroverstationhouse.com. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good. It is good. And, Chet, I got to say, uh, 
As we said in the opening, the Flyers have not been good. They completed a tough Western Canada trip to Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. They go 0-2-1, bring their record to 2-2-1. One thing that we've seen through five games, at least up to last night, is solid goaltending by Carter Hart and even Brian Elliott in his loss to Calgary. Uh, That didn't happen last night. The Flyers didn't play well in really any of those three games. Yeah, not a great trip. The shootout loss last Saturday night in Vancouver, then the other two games in Western Canada where they just didn't do a whole lot offensively until you know late in the game last night. And as you mentioned, Carter Hart had a rough half game in his Edmonton homecoming. The good news, we can all put that you know behind us. He can put it behind him. And three of the next four games will be at the Wells Fargo Center. Yeah, they, they need a, to come home. You know, uh, they've been to Sweden. They've been to Czechoslovakia. They've been to the Western Canada, and I believe they only have one home game that's been mixed into that. Uh, so certainly they're going to be happy to be back home. Oh, absolutely. Everybody loves to be back home. So uh, hopefully better things will be, you know, awaiting them when they get back to Philly because that, that trip was, you know, not what they expected or what anybody hoped for. They had breakdowns in all areas and uh, just, you know, move on. Yeah, well, and, you know, the schedule in the NHL is always tough because everybody's usually pretty good. But, you know, before they get uh, to Saturday a week, they get Dallas, Vegas, Columbus, or Chicago and Columbus. That's uh, that's all tough sledding. You got to got to get off to a good start. They got to right the ship, and uh, they got to get some offense, Chet. Yeah, they do. And uh, on a side note, that Connor McDavid's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they have the top score in line. It took them less than a minute last night to. Uh, make a steal and, and score a goal. And uh, Edmonton's tough, especially at home. And uh, for the Flyers, you know, I think what what I've been able to see, I think there's there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of different looks. But uh, uh, still some of the same guys trying to find their way. You know, they, they've done some switching up last year. Uh, Claude Giroux was the left wing. Last night, at least, he was the right wing. Giroux or um, Voracek was the left wing. A lot of lot of switches going on here, and a lot of adjustments to this new system. I think. Yeah, I have faith in Vigneault, though. I think he'll figure it out. And I mean, the first couple of games, their special teams looked really, really good. Of course, that changed over the last couple of nights, I guess. But uh, let, let's not give up on them just yet. Uh, it's a long, long season, and they do have some good young talent. And there's going to be ups and downs. And I, I said that from the start about Carter Hart. And he had a rough one last night. But I have faith that he'll bounce back, as will the other young guys. And I think they'll – I'm still confident they'll be in the mix for one of those final playoff spots. I'm not going to guarantee anything. But I think they'll be, you know, 500 or a little above 500 this season and right in the mix for a playoff berth. Boy, I sure hope that they're a little bit better than that. I, I really hope it doesn't come down to the end of the season and you're fighting for that seventh and eighth spot. Um, you know, you, you need to get up there and get a little more comfortable going into the playoffs than, than having to play down to the last day. Yeah, ideally, but I just don't know if they're good enough for that. Uh, have faith. Have faith, Chad. I mean, I realize it's only <laughs> October. You don't watch until January, but have a little faith that uh, they'll get it going here in, over the next week. And the one thing they do need to do, and I, I don't know uh, where this really stands, is they need to get that Nolan Patrick back. Um, that's great. The hole that they certainly need to fill the youngster is out with the migraines. And I guess it's pretty serious if it, if it actually is bad enough to put you on the, uh, the hockey version of the DL. 
Yeah, I heard the other day he was getting closer, so they are making some strides there. So I know he didn't, I guess he didn't go on the West Coast trip, certainly, but, uh, you know, hopefully they'll get this figured out, maybe even over this uh, next batch of games where they have some home games. So uh, we'll see, because they could certainly use them. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll be back. We'll be following the Flyers all season, and we'll be back to them uh, as we go each week. But, hey, Chet, did you know that 56% of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave LaVoy from Allstate in Westchester, PA. Yep, the same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal and then show you the right financial solutions to help get you there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoy in Westchester, 610-430-0700, and start planning for your retirement today, 610-430-0700. And, Bill, as Tom McGinnis would say, get excited. <laughs> well, Chet, the Phillies front office, thinking of being excited or confused or something, they seem to be leaving more questions than answers. Uh, and we need to get the bottom of that with our next guest, Hall of Fame baseball writer, Paul Hagan. Yes, we do. You ready, Paul? You ready to join us? I'm ready whenever you are. All right. All right, Paul. Welcome. Good to hear. Good to be with you guys. Hey, good evening, Paul. This is Chet. You know, uh, oh, you were, Bill wasn't on the last time you were on, so that's Bill. Anyway, when I had you on with me in early July, uh, we talked about doing it again in early October to talk about the Phillies hopefully being in the postseason. Didn't quite work out that way. So, first thing I want to ask you about is that Friday news conference with Middleton, McPhail, and Klintak. They pretty much got destroyed on social media. Middleton getting compared to Harold Katz and Daniel Snyder. The word dysfunctional mentioned by many. Was it as bad as it looked and sounded from your viewpoint, Paul? Yeah, I, I went down to it, and uh, it, we all kind of walked out shaking our heads, I, I have to say. Um, you know, there were – it was it was a very strange press conference, but what – the one thing that was very clear that came out of it was John Middleton's in control. He's making the calls. And now the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I tell you, it seemed like the way, just my observation, and I, I actually got to watch it, um, it, it looked like it was a bad thing. It looked like he had two lieutenants that were a bit confused, and, and they looked like lame ducks, I guess is the right word to use. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're lame ducks or not, but I, I do. Here, here's kind of the way I look at it. Um, certainly, John Middleton um, has the right to do whatever he wants. Uh, the question is, to me, he I, and I do believe he wants to win. But the question to me is, is the best way to win having the owner uh, jumping into the fray to make decisions like this? And not even like this necessarily. I mean, obviously, if you're going to sign a Bryce Harper and there's $330 million involved, the owner's going to get involved in that, and, and he should. And, and I don't think there's any team that that's not going to happen with. My question becomes, when the owner gets involved in decisions like, should you fire the hitting coach in the middle of the season, and if so, who do you replace him with, I think that's when, when the alarms kind of go off for me. Um, and again, John has absolutely the right to do whatever he wants, to make whatever decisions he wants, to dictate whatever he wants. My point is, I, in my experience, I've covered baseball for 40 years now. That's really not how you win. Yep. 
All right. Well, they have to find a new manager, and many of the names being put out there as potential managers, such as Joe Girardi, Dusty Baker, and Buck Showalter, are more old-school guys who probably won't want to you know, base quite as many of their in-game decisions on analytics as Kapler did. Is that what Middleton wants, and will Matt Klintak just have to you know, bite his lip and live with that? Yeah, I again, this is this is where they they left a lot of confusion with that press conference the other day. Um, you know, first of all, they said on on the day of the press conference, they said when asked what kind of manager they were looking for, they said, "Well, we don't even we can't even answer that question yet. We've got to sit down. We've got to, you know, we've got to develop a profile of what we're looking for." And and then and only then can we move forward. Well, within a day, uh, it was being credibly reported that they were going to hire uh, a veteran guy who'd been around the block a few times and who had a big name. And the three names, you know, Girardi, Showalter, and Baker that are out there now were, were coming out. So that's the first thing that confuses me a little bit. Um, how did they get to that profile so quickly? And then the second thing, which you bring up, and it's a great point, um, the Phillies have been tried very hard to – become a more analytically inclined organization. Um, everybody on that podium uh, Friday stressed that they that hadn't changed. I think of the three candidates that we've heard about, uh, Joe Girardi probably is the more ana- analytically inclined of all of them. Uh, the Yankees do employ a lot of analytics. Um, so, Again, it, it, it really raises a question, what what are they doing here? Um, I, I don't think, I don't know that Dusty, um, I don't think Dusty or Buck Showalter are anti-analytics necessarily, but I don't think they really embrace them. In fact, I read a great story from Dan Connolly uh, from The Athletic in Baltimore who covered uh, Buck for eight years down there, who pointed out that he always made fun of analytics until the very end when he when it looked like he might be getting a new boss or need a new job, then all of a sudden he started talking in favor of analytics. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think that the, the Phillies, in, in, in answering a question uh, of who their next manager is going to be, are going to raise a lot more questions of exactly what kind of organization they want to run. But John Middleton particularly – stood up and said, I was the guy who came in a few years ago and said, we need more analytics. I'm the guy who's bankrolling it. I still believe in it. So I don't know how we square that if they hire a guy like Buck Showalter or Dusty Baker. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, were you surprised, as everything finally unfolded, were you surprised it took so long to fire Gabe Kapler? And, and what was it a surprise to you? What do you think was really behind all that that took so long? Well, I, I don't um, – once they explained why it took so long, I understood because John Middleton had been telling Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak he wanted to make a change since July, and they had been talking him out of it and, and telling him not to be so impulsive. And even at the end of the season when he said he wanted to make a change, they asked him to talk to more people and do some more research, and he did. Uh, and I, I think that's fine. Uh, I, I think the way they explained that was was all well and good, but then they came up with, well, it, it ended up being because of two September collapses. Well, for one thing, if he was already, if John Middleton was already talking about making the change in July, the second September collapse was not why Gabe Kapler got fired. And secondly, you know, as I look at those two seasons, they weren't necessarily September collapses. 
Uh, two years ago, the collapse started in the middle of August, and last year it started in the beginning of June. Uh, in both cases, they got off to a fast start. They were in first place. They were 10, 12, whatever, however many games over 500, and then did not play nearly that well for an extended period of time. But to, to just pretend it happened in September, I think, is a little misleading. Yeah. One, one thing, uh, let, me, let me get your interpretation of it to see if you took it the same way that I did. I, I felt like the, the management didn't blame the injuries uh, like I thought they could have probably gotten it out with the bullpen. They defended the bullpen, but it seemed to me that they blamed the coaches more than they did the injuries uh, of how things played out through the entire summer, really, and through September. Is, was that your take? Well, yes, yes, in the sense that they fired the hitting coach in August and the pitching coach at the end of the year. But on the other hand, they brought back the entire rest of the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So, so when you think about it, really, the only three people that uh, were that ended up take, losing their jobs over what happened were the manager, the pitching coach, and the hitting coach. So, uh, could could they have blamed injuries more? I guess they could have. I think the first thing people would have said was, yeah, but the Yankees had twice as many injuries, and look at what they did. Yeah. So I, I think injury – I mean, every team has injuries, and I think that's a – that can be a hard argument, argument to make. I will say this. I was a little surprised as I was looking back at this at the end of the year. When Andrew McCutcheon got hurt at the end of May, uh, we all said, yeah, this is, a, this is a, a, a blow. This is a bad thing. This is a big loss. But I thought, you know – McCutcheon replaced in the, in the leadoff spot. He replaced a guy in Cesar Hernandez who had had a very good on-base percentage over the past couple of years. And I thought that, you know, yes, it's going to hurt, but at least they have a guy that can slip into that leadoff spot um, and, and, and at least get on base with a, with a fair amount of regularity. Uh, didn't turn out that way. And the, the reality is that through all the injuries they had, Coincidentally or not, their slide started just about the time that McCutcheon got hurt. Yep. All right. In addition to finding a new manager, which hopefully will be a relatively speedy process, the team absolutely has to add some pitching this offseason. Garrett Cole is by far the head of the class. He's been amazing since midsummer, right in through the postseason here with the Astros. Whoever lands him, of course, is going to have to back up a brain truck to do so. Will the Phillies make a run at Cole, and who are the other likely free agent starters they might target? Well, I think they'll certainly um, they'll certainly talk to him. Um, John Middleton has a very good relationship with Scott Boris, his agent, uh, as we know from the Bryce Harper and Jake Arrieta signings. Uh, one thing I found really, really intriguing uh, at the press conference was right at the end, uh, he was uh, John Middleton was asked a question. Uh, about whether or not he expected the Phillies to contend next year, and he said yes. Um, and was he willing to uh, go over the luxury tax? And he kind of hedged on that. And then he was asked, are you, are you willing to play in the deep end of the free agent pool again this winter? And he said, well, I can't really say that because we don't know all the people who are going to be free agents at this point which is not exactly true. I mean, we do know all the people who can be free agents at the end of this year. Um, and, yes, the team that has them has 10 days to sign them, but that never happens. Once Once a guy gets to the end of the season, you know, he's going to test the market. So it seemed like a curious 
answer to me until I started thinking, wait a minute, Steven Strasberg can opt out of his contract. Steven Strasberg is also a Boris client. Now, am I reading too much into this? Did, did John Middleton just misspeak, or did John Middleton just unintentionally uh, give us a hint as to what his thinking is? I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Hey, I want to ask you about a current player, and, and that would be Reese Hoskins, who to me was certainly the most disappointing player on this team, who I thought I actually said to Chet on this show that when they got Harper and that Harper and Hoskins together, that Hoskins had a chance to be an MVP this year. Boy, did I mess that up. Uh, <laughs> what, what kind of – what happens to a guy? And, and have you ever seen a guy with a second half that was just – as consistently bad as his was every every night for a half a season? Yeah, I'll, I'll preface this by saying uh, I happened to be in Clearwater uh, when Bryce Harper played his first game, and I believe he walked and Harper and, I mean, Harper walked and Hoskins homered following him. And everybody, of course, was saying, yes, we expect to see a lot of that this year. <laughs> well, it didn't happen nearly as much as, obviously, the Phillies hoped it would. <laughs> um, yes, I, look, I've, I've seen – Good players have bad half years. I've seen good players have bad full years. Um, but there is no guarantee, especially with a player of Reese Hoskins' uh, experience level, he doesn't really have the track record you know, of some guys where you say, okay, look, this guy had five or six really, really good years in a row. He had one bad year. Um, so you would normally you would kind of be confident that he would bounce back. I think Reese is still sort of developing a track record, so I don't know that that you can be that confident. And I honestly, I don't. Maybe, maybe there was an injury we don't even know about. Sometimes that happens. Uh, but he just looked like a confused hitter to me. Uh, it's entirely possible that, you know, he was caught between uh, seeing a lot of pitches, which he did very well, and I know the Phillies stressed that. Uh, especially John Malley, and, and uh, that was the philosophy, see a lot of pitches, work the starter, that sort of thing. And, you know, taking too many hittable pitches and then having to swing at, at unhittable pitches. Um, so maybe it was just more he got uh, into what Jim Fregosi, former Phillies manager Jim Fregosi, used to call a mix-up, got into a little bit of a mix-up uh, and just couldn't decide whether he was a patient hitter or should be a more aggressive hitter. Um, but clearly, uh, he has to, you know, he has to turn it around and become much closer to the player that uh, that the Phillies thought he was going to be. Uh, which brings up another issue: uh, if you're not sure that he's going to be, uh, do you uh, go try to get a third baseman like Anthony Rendon and start playing Alex Baum at first base? Hmm. Yeah. All right. Last thing, Paul. Uh, the Washington Nationals are in the World Series already. Darn them. Uh, awaiting the winner of the Astros-Yankees Series. Who's going to win it all this year? Well, uh, it's hard. I, I picked I, – I was asked on, on uh, the Phillies pregame show uh, at the end of the season who outside of the 300-win teams I thought had a chance, and I picked the Nationals. So I guess from, from that standpoint, I kind of got to go with the Nationals. Um, I, I do think that they, they have the kind of pitching that can certainly match up if they end up playing the Yankees. And I dislike the Yankees, so it's really hard for me to pick them. <laughs> my, my, my suspicion would be, if I had to pick, I think the Nationals 
would beat the Yankees, but I think the Astros might beat the, the Nationals. Okay. Very right. good. Well, well, Paul, we appreciate you coming by. Great insight as always, and, and thanks for taking the time to join us. Glad to do it. Nice talking. Thanks, Paul. All right. Hey, Chet, let's give out a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance on winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out the Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118 Raz Room. That's right, PPCC118 Raz Room on Facebook. Well, we've heard that before, Chad. It's bread and butter fantasy football time with our guru, Fred Hugo, back to break down week seven of the season already. Fred, welcome back. Well, let's turn his mic on before he speaks. Hello, Fred. You got me now? Week seven already? This is crazy. Hard to believe, isn't it? it? All right, let's get right to it, Fred. What do you got for week seven? Well, for the Thursday night game, I'm excited for the referees. I don't know which one I think is going to throw enough flags. (laughs) I'm really pumped up. But, uh, no, but jumping right into it, um, at the quarterback spot, I, um, I like – I always go against Miami, but it's the thing to do, especially if you need a quarterback – um, find one on the waiver wire playing Miami. Josh Allen, he's a good quarterback, but he has a great matchup. Um, Gardner Minshew has a good matchup. And I hate to say it, and I don't think it may not happen, actually. I think the Eagles will, will do well against them. But Dak, it would be, without me being a homer, I'd be being a homer not saying Dak against the Eagles secondary. Um, moving over to running back, Leonard Fournette. Most people have him, you know, but he has a great matchup against the Bengals if you're playing like a fan duel, that type of deal. Dalvin Cook. And then um, Philip Lindsay tonight actually has a great matchup against the Chiefs. He, he should run, as well as Henry on the um, on the Titans. That's another good running back you could start this week. As far as running backs on the waiver wire, jo- Jamal Williams is getting like half the carries in Green Bay, and, and he, so he has an opportunity to, who knows, if an injury happens or anything, he's someone you might want to pick up. Also Latavius Murray on the Saints, and then Javoris Allen. I know um, Saquon is supposed to be back, but they just signed Javoris Buck Allen. You should pick him up as like a, like a handicap type deal. Um, and then moving to wide receiver, Cooper Cup has been quiet the last two weeks. He should 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 wake up this week. Atlanta's secondary is not great. It's a, it's a good matchup for him to put up some points. T.Y. Hilton should have a good week. And then I don't think Amari Cooper's going to play, but Michael Gallup would be a play that, that you might want to start this week as well. And then uh, over with the, um, at the with the Jets, with Sam Darnold back, if you got um, – if Jamison Crowder's on the waiver wire, he's a guy you might want to pick up. He has like 37% of the targets, so he's he's another good guy. At tight end, Evan Ingram should should eat this week. This week. Arizona is terrible against the tight end. I watched – I was against uh, – Hooper last week on the Falcons and just watched him just shred them down the field. The tight end just always kills them. Uh, the tight end you could pick up on the waiver wire is Dawson Knox of the Buffalo Bills. He's matched up against, again, Miami, and they're ranked 22nd against the tight end. And I hate to beat a dead horse, but if you're looking for a defense to pick up, uh, the Buffalo Bills defense against Miami as well. So there's other other – other, most of the matchups this week you you probably have because they're already good defenses, you know. 
but there are a couple guys that may be on the wire that you can pick up and, and start this week and have some success. All right. Good stuff. You're on it, Fred. Why, well, hey, Chet, time for this week's NFC East picks. How'd we do last week, and uh, where do we stand in the standings now? All right, you guys were both 3-2 and two last weekend. I mistakenly took the stumbling Rams to beat the 49ers, so I went 2-3. and three. That means the standings for the season are tighter than ever. Fred now in sole possession of first place at 14-7. and seven. Way to go, Fred. Bill, you and I are both 13-8, and eight, just one game back. I don't think we've Open ever heard Fred, I don't think we've ever heard Fred's in first place. <laughs> no, we did. We did. The first year we did, I went like the first like four weeks. Then I started then I started studying my picks. And now this year <laughs> yeah. I'm not studying anymore. And I'm doing That's well. I'm, I'm not yeah. studying my picks anymore. Don't oh. do too much homework. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Week seven. Let's start it out. Cardinals at the Giants. Probably be a better baseball game than a football game. Giants minus three. 49ers at Washington, the Niners minus 10. I threw a wild card game in here this week. Vikings at Detroit, Vikings minus one. And the Eagles travel to Dallas for Sunday night football. Dallas minus three, that surprised me. So, Fred, Cardinals, Giants, Giants minus three. Who you got? I like the Giants here. Saquon's back. And uh, Daniel Jones, it seems like a better fit at quarterback. Golden Tate gives them a veteran receiver there, too. I don't like the Cardinals defense at all. And I really don't like – their offense kind of reminds me of that chip kind of offense, so I'm going to take the Giants here at home. Yeah, what Fred said. In fact, I think the Giants are going to win this one easily. If I were a betting man, and I occasionally am, but I'm not going to be this weekend, I would take the Giants lay in the three because I think they're going to win this one pretty handily. I think they'll win because Saquon's back and Chet, and Chet will be wearing his Daniel Jones jersey. So yeah, that's yeah. got to be a sure Giants thing right there. <laughs> You're never going to live that down. I guess not. 49ers at the Redskins, Niners minus 10. Good showing by the Niners last week. I love them. I'm I'm riding them out. Um, I'm I'm 49ers. They they should win. I think the spread is 10. They're on the road too, right? Yeah. Is that Washington? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely 49ers. Yeah, Bill Callahan's not going to go undefeated as the Redskins interim coach. It ends very quickly. San Fran wins this one. Yeah, San Francisco playing good ball, and, uh, and the Redskins aren't very good, so it, that should be an easy one. Vikings-Lions, Vikings minus one in Detroit. Detroit coming off a, a robbery. Vikings coming off a whipping the Eagles. Uh, good matchup. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I, I'm going to go with the Vikings here. I, I think when they get that offense, you know, balanced, you know, when they're when they're getting Dalvin Cook where they can set up that play action, they're going to have a much better defense to face this week. But I I, I think the uh, Vikings underachieved last year, and I, I, I like the Vikings here. I really struggled with this one. I, I think I'm in three other pick'em leagues, and I took Detroit in two of them even up, and I took Minnesota in the other one. And for our purposes right here, I'm going to go with the home team. I think Minnesota might be a little full of themselves right now after beating up on the Eagles. The Lions, as you said, Bill, got robbed the other night. Detroit wins this one. Yeah, I'm going to go Detroit at home also. I, I, I think they're a lot better than people give them credit for. I think they're a pretty decent team. Obviously, the odds makers think they're, they're a little bit better than most people probably think. So I'm going to go Detroit at home there. Eagles, Dallas. Sunday night football, why Dallas is three-point favorites is beyond me. Fred? They're more banged up than we are injury-wise. 
Um, I I don't I think this is a sucker bet where Vegas has everyone tries to take Dallas. I, I don't know if the national public would do that or not, but I, I don't see them that they're at home. I think the Eagles win this handily. I, I think this is a, a blowout win. Um, the the Eagles I think match up well. They, especially with Mari Cooper, if he's out, I just don't see how Dallas can keep up with us. And then we're they got their two tackles are out. So we should be able to get pressure like we did against the Jets, or at least half of what we did against the Jets. And if you get Dak rattled, there's, he's, he's just not a great quarterback. So I'm, I think the Eagles win this. I'm going to say 37-17. Wow. Wow. Woo. Uh, I don't know if the Eagles are going to win any more games handily. They don't have any more you know, bad Jets teams on the schedule. And I just fear this is going to be another struggle. But I am taking the Eagles, and I'm going with the same score I went with last week when they played the Vikings. Eagles win 24-20. to 20. Hopefully I'll have better luck this time. Well, and I'm going to go Eagles. I'm going to go 27-21. I think it's going to be a pretty good game. Uh, obviously, the key to the game is stopping Ezekiel Elliott. If you can stop him, you stop them. And uh, Cooper being out is, a, is certainly a plus for the Eagles. I do think the Eagles will score points and move football. So, and hopefully run it a little bit. So I'm going to go Eagles 27-21. And I'm surprised Jason Garrett still has a job, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, boy, Fred, before we let you go, let the listeners know how to follow you so they can get updates and all catch the me on Facebook. that you are. All right, thank you. You can catch, uh, catch me on Facebook at Fred Hugo, on Instagram at Fred Hugo underscore, as well as Twitter. And then I have uh, FredandButter.com for my fantasy football and, and gambling-type pick stuff. At more of the Facebook page than the website. And then for during the Sixers season, I'll be doing uh, Fred's Five takeaways after every game. You can catch that on my Facebook or edgeofphilly.com. So. All right, Fred. you got to stop fighting with the Facebook people, all right? It's, it's fun. It's fun. It, it creates <laughs> People see it. But, yeah, you're right. It's, it's getting crazy. It's getting a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fred, you, thanks Fred. a lot, and we'll see you next week. Go Bird, see you. All right. Hey, Chet, before we get to our guest for next week, uh, we have our new Philly Press Box Radio shirts. They're available. They're ready to go, and uh, we need to sell some. Sure do. Uh, Great-looking green logo T-shirts. They're available for sale as per our ad on Facebook, which I put on there a couple of times. I'll do it again. As with our red logo shirts last spring, they are available in regular material and dry fit and will sell for $15 or $17, depending on which material you choose. Add 2 bucks more for 2XL or 3XL. If you need them shipped, in other words, if you don't live by Bill or me, add 7 bucks per shirt or 10 bucks if you're buying two. See our ad on Facebook and let us know which shirt or shirts you'd like to buy. Get two of them. They make a great gift for the Philly sports fan in your circle of friends. Absolutely. And, hey, Chet, now for next week, who do we have coming to Philly Press Box Radio? And, yeah, we have another schedule change, as you alluded to earlier, because everybody's going to be focused on the Sixers' regular season opener against the hated Celtics on Wednesday night. We're going to have a short turnaround, Bill, and do our weekly show our official Sixers season preview show on Tuesday evening. Mark it down, Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., and you can probably guess who our guest will be. The one and only D. Lynham joins us live to talk all things Sixers, and we'll make our predictions for the season as well. All right, that's, that'll be great. Chet, parting shot as we're getting close to the end tonight. 
not a true parting shot, as I've done occasionally. I'm just going to give you some random stuff. As you mentioned, Bill, the new XFL held its inaugural draft this week. Several familiar names will be on the rosters of the eight teams. Among them, Matt McGloin will quarterback the New York Guardians. Good luck to them. And your starting running back for those D.C. defenders will be none other than, yes, Donnell Pumphrey. The league kicks off in February, the weekend after the Super Bowl. One of my favorite shows as a kid, Bill Gilligan's Island. It debuted on CBS 55 years ago this week. Believe it or not, it ran for just three seasons, but I watched all 98 episodes, and I bet you I've seen them all at least three or four times. And, you know, Bill, I joined Instagram two years and two months ago, and I think I have something like 240-some followers. Jennifer Aniston joined Instagram Tuesday morning and in three days' time has 12.8 million followers. Life's just not fair. Well, I, I can't imagine why that is. And, Chad, <laughs> I, can't I, can't, I can't let you go. I can't let you go off your parting shot without uh, talking about Big John Roberts trying to throw you over the edge with the Kate Beckinsale post this week. Yeah, he does that just to torture me. But then I posted the one about you know showing her the little video, her flexing her leg with her trainer. That was impressive. I don't know if they used some kind of CGI and fake the whole thing, but <laughs> watching Kate Beckinsale in action, I, I'll watch her exercise anytime. Love Kate, who only has, by the way, 3.4 million followers. She's got to get that up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, Mr. Chesco, we've reached the top of the hour. Let's thank our special guest, Ty Johnson. Paul Hagen, Fred Hugo, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Tuesday, October 22nd at 7 p.m. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio. Or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a bunch of others. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go birds. And because we forgot to mention Penn State and Michigan, go Nits. And, Chet, you know, we also didn't get to mention those Temple Owls who had a big win against Memphis last week and have just as big a game at SMU this week. Go Owls. Go Temple.